0: Right, let me back up. No. Uh, so, so, the Lord's Supper, do this often uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Take drink, t- take eat, take drink for the forgiveness of sins, and it's physical bread and wine, right? Now, the uh, confession and absolution is, is an interesting one because, in a couple of different places, especially in Martin Luther's own uh, description of the sacraments, he numbers them as he says, well, according to that definition, there are two sacraments. The Lord's Supper and baptism. And then at the end of the same work, he says, so there are three sacraments, which he names in there what? What's the third? What would be considered the third sacrament, question mark? Third, third, third sacrament? What delivers the forgiveness of sins? And Jesus said to do. It's one of the, it's one of the main gifts given out in the Lord's service. Marriage? No, nope. in the service proper. Confession. Confession and absolution. As Jesus said, do this. Yes, who, who he sends them out. Whoever sins, you forgive; they are forgiven. Is the forgiveness of sins attached there? Yes. So Jesus has to do it. The forgiveness of sins is attached, and is it physical? Well, yes, kinda. It's not in the same sense of water touching you, uh, bread and wine touching you, but um, some would argue, and I and I and I buy this interpretation too. Like I'm physical. The pastor who speaks is physical, and Most importantly, how do eardrums work? How do drums work? What do you have to do to a drum? You hit it? So how do our eardrums work? What hits it? So it's a physical thing. It's ultimately a physical thing that hits you. So this is a divine... What's that? Well, you're saying just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not physical, right? right? Which is not necessarily true. Can you smell like I can sing rap music Is, 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 is carbon monoxide? Physical. Is carbon monoxide physical? Carbon <laughs> monoxide is physical, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So that's the idea. So, so that's why it's like a, it's. It doesn't really matter what you call it. The idea is, from our perspective of categorizing a sacrament, is when we say God delivers salvation to us through word and sacraments. What we mean is those physical things that Jesus attached. He said, "Do" and he attached forgiveness to. So whether or not the confession and absolution is a sacrament is irrelevant. The question is, I don't care what you call it, does it deliver forgiveness of sins or not? Right? That's the idea. But uh, so you've got a different listing of sacraments within, like the Catholics, for example, list out, I think you said, marriage. So um, is the forgiveness of sins, does does Jesus say to do this? Uh, Kind of. I mean, he doesn't doesn't institute marriage. He doesn't give it out in the same way, does he? Promise the forgiveness of sins through the institution? No. But is it still a holy thing? Yes. So that's why we don't want to. We don't need to quibble what is. What we don't need to quibble about what is. What is and what is not a sacrament is irrelevant. We, they use a different definition than we do. So, so that's the idea. Any questions on there? You Ever wondered about that? You're like, what's word and sacrament? What are the means of grace? When's he gonna stop looking at me? Go away. You can't be asking about last yes. Rites the wrong yeah. Last rites are um, is they also called divine unction? Is that the? Yeah, the... Okay. So we also have we also have last rites, but it's a it's a we don't call it that. And I would bet we don't call it that because, as I've mentioned in previous lectures, Lutherans are really heavy to shy away from anything that looks, smells, or mm-hmm. looks like Catholic. So I said, looks twice there. Doesn't matter. It's like we have a crucifix, make the sign of the cross, we use incense, I wear vestments. It's like somebody walks in, you guys are Catholic. Well, what is Catholic? What do you mean by Catholic? That is a central question. I was going to use that as my opening line for my sermon on Reformation Sunday, this coming Sunday, Reformation Sunday, be there if you can, Uh, but I changed my mind, wrote a different sermon, so I'll give it to you now instead. What does it mean to be Catholic? According to the whole, I believe, one, holy, one whole Catholic church. Uh, that's, so I think the first time that shows up is in Irenaeus. Don't let me forget your question. I'll come back to it. Sure. I, gotta, I, have, I have to step on this soapbox first. Um, Little C Catholic. Little C Catholic. Well, so ultimately, and I think uh, Irenaeus and like the 200s refer to the church as the Catholic church. There's, and, and the Catholic church is wherever Jesus is. And that... Interesting. This is a great perspective. Remember how I think I can't remember who it was a couple of weeks ago was, was quoting uh, "Where two or more gathered in my name." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we think that means when, like, when the two of us get together to have a Bible study, Jesus is present, and there. Are, so our, we have we have unity in Jesus by being together in the same place. But this is a great way to think about it. If I'm meeting, if I'm if I'm studying God's word here alone, and someone is anywhere else, at any other time, studying God's word. We are united because of Christ. We are both gathered in his name, and he is the uniting factor. So it, it, it belong, the unification belongs to him, not me. He's not waiting around on me to do something. It's a, a pretty helpful perspective on that. So the, the Catholic Church is joined together, unified by Jesus, okay? Now, where Jesus uh, when Jesus is confessed as not true God, for example, or, or not true man, as, as uh, the Arians were confessing in the 300s or so, they have departed from historic Christianity. They're, they're no longer part of the Catholic Church. You have to fast forward into like the thousands before you get into this distinction between these are, these are Roman Catholics. These would be like Eastern, like the Eastern Orthodox Catholic view uh, wherever these specific locations, as soon as you add a location to it, you actually kill the Catholicness of it. Mm-hmm. To be truly Catholic is to be united by Jesus of all times and all places. So when we mean Roman Catholic, or, or, or the distinction brought by the Roman Catholics, at least especially from the maybe the historical Lutheran perspective, would be ideally the Lutherans would still be in fellowship with the Catholics. They're mm-hmm. the other ones who didn't want to like say the right stuff about Jesus. So we're like, you need to be saying the right stuff about Jesus. Stop saying stupid things like I have to earn my way to salvation. Jesus doesn't say that. Why are you saying that? So if the, really, that's, that's, that remains the posture of the Lutherans to this day, by the way. We're still, uh, we weren't trying to start a new church. We didn't give ourselves the names Lutheran, by the way. Who called us Lutherans? The Catholics, because mm-hmm. they were mad at us. and they uh, Luther would never call the church by, by, under his own name. The Lutherans called themselves the Evangelicals, which means gospel. Well, today we have a totally different definition of Evangelicals, right? But the Lutherans are the first Evangelicals. Um, anyway, so there, there's there's a big misunderstanding of Roman Catholicism being touch, touching only these like external practices, the liturgy. Um, even for a non-Lutheran perspective, the sacraments themselves are Catholic and Catholic's necessarily bad. Michael Dragu a couple weeks ago was telling me about, like he was, he was in this Bible study for a while until they started like straight up condemning Catholics. Like they're going to hell. Like on what grounds? He's like, well, on what grounds are you saying that? What's that? Catholics were finally saying if you're not with me, you're against <laughs> me. But this wasn't a Catholic Bible study. This was an evangelical Bible study about the Catholics. Well, the Catholics certainly say that yeah. ex cathedra non est salvatore, or something like this. So outside of, well, that's that's the that's a historic phrase. Like outside of, outside of the Catholic Church, there is no salvation. Um, so that's how you scare you scare people from leaving the Catholic Church, right? Um, and unfortunately, so I, I would say that I mean they're not really. Well, that was the Lutheran critique. You guys aren't really working out of the same Bible that we seem to be working out of. Since when did Jesus say anything about unification to the Roman Catholic Church? It's confusing. What he does say is, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I flip it back around to the Catholics and say, well, do they believe in Jesus or not? They believe in Jesus. Of course I'm going to see him in heaven, right? Right. So when it comes to last rites, that is basically... It, it's, it's a very simple thing. It is this, delivered when you need it absolutely most. It's the, uh, I forget which church father said it. Jesus puts the ticket the ticket into everlasting life on your tongue. It says, come on in. So to give, I mean, rarely does this occur, because in our day and age, I mean, a lot of times people will be suffering in hospice, and then somewhere in there they... They'll lose consciousness, perhaps, and it's very difficult to, to be able to physically give someone the Lord's Supper when they're nearing the end, you know. Um, but the general idea is to be able to show up. And in the Lutheran context, for, for any of you who either go through this yourself or have loved ones who do, here's what this looks like. We show up, and it's and it's, a long, it's, a, it's a long ride. But if you've been at the deathbed of a loved one, you're in there for a long, long time. Well, what's it going to do? And what, what, could be, what could you be doing better? So it's, it's Psalms. Um, it'll go like psalm prayer, reading prayer. And all these readings are just like overflowing with the Lord's promises in both the Old and New Testament, right? So it's putting our, it's putting our hope in the right things, attaching it to prayer. And as the scriptures say, everything is sanctified, made holy by word and prayer. So we, we certainly have God's presence in this, in this conversation. But then also the Lord's Supper is given if the person is able to receive it. And if the person is conscious, we'll actually even have uh, confession absolution and then excuse everybody from the room and say, hey, is there anything that's especially bothering you right now? Because that's when the devil slithers up and says, you're not going to heaven, here's why. And so we can talk about this next week or maybe it's today perhaps on the confession absolution. It is God taking the specific medication and putting it on that specific spot. Um, so this, is the, this is the thing that's really bothering me. In corporate confession and absolution that we do on Sundays, it is generic. It's, still, it's, still, it's equally efficacious from a practical standpoint. Forgiveness is given. But on a personal perception standpoint, it's like, I, I know my sins are forgiven, but this one thing has really eaten me. And so Jesus wants you to have no more doubt. He wants that one thing squashed. And so, hence private confession and absolution, with that individual and then people are brought back into the room and then there's like singing prayers. And then it's really like the end of it, it's, there's even like a, an alternate portion at the end that's including like if the person dies, um, then like here's this other prayer. I mean, I've never, I've never been in the room with someone died. I've missed it twice by like five minutes. Dave Groth's dad, who's the other one? Just happened, like I walked in the room and I just missed it. Oh, it was um, Dumford, Sarah, Sarah Dumford, and I would have gotten there in time, but I saw the girl's mom in the hus- in the parking garage. I have the super cool like front row pastor spot, and she drove past me, so I had to wait for her to park her car. And then she's got a cane because she hurt herself, so she we're walking in super so- slow speed. And sure enough, I missed it by like two minutes. I was like, ah, <laughs> yes. So as, as though God knew what he was doing. You know? so we talked about this before. It wasn't like if I'd have been there five minutes earlier, God would have just backed up the death if he didn't want me there. But in any case, the, the idea would be to bring the, the comfort of the, of the gospel, and not just the comfort, like I'm looking for a feeling. We do what, certainly want to deliver that, but it's not, it's not just a feeling, it is objective. Uh, objective justification versus a subjective feeling. So you know what? I I just don't feel like I'm forgiven. Well, It's not about you. Stop looking at yourself. What's Jesus say? So, but and yet, especially in our times of greatest trial and despair, the Lord does also give us the comfort of the gospel too. So that's, so is it a sacrament? Well, it, it's just a delivery of these same, the same sacraments, right? So again, different definition of the same idea um, so let's jump in any, any other thoughts or questions on that i got I've, I've kind of interweaved a few quotes from the large catechism on here so observe first that these words contain god's command and ordinance you should not doubt them then that baptism is of divine origin not something devised or invented by men As truly as I can say that the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer are not spun out of any man's imagination, but revealed and given by God himself. So I can also boast that baptism is no human plaything, but is instituted by God himself. Moreover, it is solemnly and strictly commanded that we must be baptized or we shall not be saved. We are not to regard it as an indifferent matter then, like putting on a new red coat. It is of the greatest importance that we regard baptism as excellent, glorious, and exalted, it is the chief cause of our contentions and battles because the world now is full of sects who proclaim that baptism is an external thing and that external things are of no use. That, like that last line, this external thing, that's why I kind of have that as our introductory to the, the sacramental idea, is that because it's a, a physical external thing, God wouldn't use that. That doesn't seem like a divine thing. God is, God is super-duper holy. Why would he... Why would he lower himself to work through these physical things? Well, because I'm physical. But that was a lot of the debates that were happening just after the Reformation and that post-Reformation when they're duking it out between the Zwinglians and Calvinists and stuff on the nature of, is the Lord's Supper the body and blood of Jesus or not? Is it just a symbol? Is it a representation? Is baptism, does it actually do anything? Or is it just a, a symbol of outward obedience um, and that's actually to this day how, like, the Southern Baptists, for example, most of my family understands baptism in the same way. Like, they, um, I make a decision for Jesus, and then I'm baptized. Because baptism is an outward expression of my obedience. I show you that I, I put my money where my mouth is, and I'm publicly baptized. Because in their system, God doesn't deliver the forgiveness of sins through means. Certainly not physical means. God isn't physical. Uh, you've heard the phrase "I don't put God in a box." Like this is like almost Calvin uh, Calviny way of uh, God. God isn't gonna uh, to another Latin phrase. Um, the the oh, how's it go? Non. Uh, it would have been so cool if I could remember the Latin. The, the, the infinite. The, the finite cannot contain the infinite. The, the, so the the finite a bread and wine or water, God cannot get inside of it because God is infinitely huge. And yet if that's true, then we have a big problem in the manger, don't we? So that's the, that's the, the classic Lutheran fight is always clinging to the promises of God over and against reason. So yeah, it doesn't really make sense that God would be working through baptism to forgive sins, but it wasn't my idea. It was his. He said, "Do it." So, cool. I'm going to do it. Um, it's not a it's not a it's not a man's invention, but it's it's God's it's God's gift. So that's where we start with all the with all the sacraments and really with everything that we we do properly in the church. It's we flee to the to the mouth of Jesus and look at His institution. What does Jesus say to do? So um, he says, "Baptize." Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're using water in the Holy Baptism, and so we're baptizing with water, and we say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's baptism. The uh, Let's see. Let's, so the catechism, Luther's, Luther's small catechism breaks it down into four parts, and I've got them there on the handout for you. The nature of baptism, the blessings of baptism, the power of baptism, and what baptism indicates. So he's basically just stacked a lot of the institutional verses of baptism together but rather than driving in on my endless looking handout um, maybe let's let's like it, talk about your experiences with holy baptism. Anybody have some like interesting perspectives or uh, questions about baptism where we could start before we dive, before we dive into the catechism differences of practice like living waters, and I was baptized, and I did feel different afterwards, and then when I had my own children, I wanted them baptized right away, and we had them baptized as them, a... mm-hmm. so, that's my practice. <laughs> yeah, and you're, because you asked about, you asked about, if it, was that, go ahead. was a mystical experiment for you? So what you're saying? I would never use the word mystical, but sure. <laughs> if you felt something different. Yeah, missed, I mean, that is a mystical yeah. So it I mean, a Godly experience. well, so we know we know that the Holy Spirit works Holy through Spirit. means. Right. Um, however, we also know that uh, He's working, even when my subjective experience might not reflect some kind of a experience. So, like, in um, the Lord's Supper, so God is is putting His body and blood in my mouth to forgive my eternal life is putting inside of my not so eternal life, to make it an eternal life. And I, I walk, I mean, I don't feel any different. I mean, especially from my perspective, I'm thinking about like a million different things, you know? Like I'm yeah. consecrating an element, consuming, like, do I have enough at? Why are the acolytes wandering away? What's going on right now? And I'm trying to take the Lord's Supper, and I'm not really, I'm not really focused on it. But it's not about me. He's given the gifts in spite of me, right? Um... So what, what is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So it's not holy water. Um, and So, I mean, there is such thing as, as I mean, water, water that's set apart for a specific purpose is holy water. Holy means set apart. Not holy in the sense of it's going to somehow, I'm going to take this water after baptism and take it home and like pour it on my plants and they're going to get super duper like big this year, right? That's not the idea, but the idea behind holy water would be that it's simply set apart for a specific purpose. So um, we're not going to take my miniature dachshunds into the baptismal font to wash their hair. Just like, I mean, it's just irreverent. Why would I do such a thing? Um, So that's the idea, but we, we don't get hung up on such things. It's not holy water. It's just water. It doesn't have to be made holy. What makes it holy is the baptism itself, That's what God is doing, the main thing. I teach the little little kids. Um, So our our Wednesday morning divine service, we have like, a lot of our homeschool families will come. And so I do like a little makeshift chapel for them. And uh, one of the, I I try to make these things memorable for them. So I say, "What what kind of water does God use in baptism? They say, sticky water. And I have them all come up and feel it. Is it sticky? No, it's not sticky. Why is it sticky? Because God sticks His name on us in baptism. What is God's name? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's He promise you when He puts His name on you? That He's with me always. got yeah, four year olds saying that. If they can say that, it's pretty good, right? So that's the idea. Uh, so God's, he's, He just takes up water, He sticks His word on it, remember? He takes a simple physical thing, attaches His word, and salvation is delivered. Which is that Word of God? What's what's God's command and combined with God's Word? Well, Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He goes on teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, So what makes baptism baptism is primarily God's Word, but He does attach it to water for our certainty. So... If, uh, can a person be rebaptized?: one? So does, does re-baptism occur? Is it maybe a different question? So is baptism a gift that's given to be done twice? And this is where kind of confusion is brought in by the evangelicals, post-reformation. So again, if, if baptism is something that I can only do it after I've made a decision for Jesus in my adult life. Then, if if I was baptized as a baby, then it didn't count. So I need to be rebaptized. Hence, Anabaptists, which became today's bapt Anab means again, baptized again, uh, and that's where they got their whole name. So Southern Baptists today are all about rebaptizing those who are. And I mean, think at the time of the Reformation, everybody was baptized as a baby. So if you're starting to think, well, no, I have to make a decision for Jesus first, then my baptism didn't count. But now that's making baptism's efficacy contingent upon me, my decision, my sincerity of my decision, my worthiness, or whatever you want to attach to it, it's making it about me. So if anything emphasizes the passivity of faith, it's infant baptism. So baptism... This is great. Baptism is baptism, and it's and it's, it's, it's the words are there: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Done deal. It's baptism. Uh, when then someone to get rebaptized, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It, it can't it can't happen in a way because the first baptism took, and it's it's eternal. So uh, we live. What's really nice way to think about it is it's not that I. It's not that I was baptized, but you can say I am baptized. It's a present, ongoing reality that I live every day as a baptized child of God. I mean, yes, it was a past event, but it's got this continuing, ongoing results for me. God's name is continuing to be upon me. Every day I wake up, the old sinful self is killed. The new man is given new life every single day. That's my rhythm. Um, Yes, if you ever see Pastor Schumacher... Ask him, how you doing, Patrick Schumacher? Oh, still baptized. Does he say Still living in America? Was living in America? America. <laughs> I was like, Can't you just say good and move on? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's classic. Schumacher is great. Still baptized. That's right. No, it's true, though. Like every, no matter what we're facing in this world, we can cling to those, all the, all the promises are delivered to me. The, the promises that matter, That's those have been won on the cross, have been delivered to me. In, in holy baptism. So that what if I've got a person who comes to me, let's play let's you play, uh, be me, a person comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, I can't remember uh, if I was baptized or not. And my parents weren't too active in the church and then they died when I was relatively young and I just don't, I just don't have any record of it. You don't have like a pastor blacklight where you can find it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> look, Look, I see it. What do you do? That's right. Leave no doubt, because ultimately it doesn't do any damage. So you baptize, to to because the Lord's really what the Lord is even doing in having His salvation delivered to us by the cross. It's all about certainty. He wants us to know for sure and not doubt. So when doubt enters in, you just do it. I mean, my home pastor in Mississippi told me. So he so he was at seminary. He just graduated seminary. He had been. He was a mission plant pastor down in, in Brandon, Mississippi. Like my home church is in the middle of nowhere. Literally like Mississippi's already the middle of nowhere. And then Jackson is like the only town anyone knows in Mississippi. And my parents like started a mission plant 30 miles east of that. It's further in the middle of nowhere. And they were building the church. So he is just called out of seminary to that to that like mission startup. And he didn't have a church yet and he and he had a baby. Just out of seminary, and he's ordained into this, this like group of people who are trying to start a mission plant. And he's got a baby, and there's some like health concerns or whatever. So they, they did the they did the baptism like really early on. But he said it was his first baptism. He never done. One. I almost said he, it was his first baptism. He would never done one before. But that's kind of like redundant. He was nervous, and he couldn't remember if he actually got his daughter's head wet. To which we might look on and say, well, it doesn't matter. The main thing is the word, right? So, Or he could say, well, remove all doubt. So he said that literally that night, he couldn't sleep. So he went, got the baby, took her to the bathroom, baptized her, just to make sure. Because <laughs> it's about, like, removing doubt. Uh, so re, there is no such thing as a rebaptism. That's my point. So if they said they were baptized in another religion, you are like, okay, well, see, that's so it. So if if I'm baptized in a different religion, that's not a baptism. A different Christian religion. Well, there's not a different Christian religion. Christianity is the religion. That's the Church Catholic, small C. So a different religion would be the Mormons who baptize. In fact, even right now, you are being baptized. By the Mormons. Did you know this? They do this crazy thing in their super weird temple with like their special underwear on, where they have like this archive of people's names. In fact, if you're going north on Naper, right before you get on the interstate, you see on your right there's a little Mormon temple there, but they've got marketed there like Family uh, Genealogy Center. Right, right. It's not because, it's like that's just like a bait and switch. They're really interested in genealogy because they want to make sure that they can get everybody baptized Mormon. They're not even there. So you, the, you're baptized on behalf of someone else. So it's part of your service, you can render in the Mormon temple as you go in and you, you like read a name out of the file and you're standing now in the stead of John Smith and John Smith is a bad choice of name for the Mormons. Um, but you baptize in the name of Seth Klimmer, and you go through the baptism, whatever their process is. The problem is for the Mormons, they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do they mean by Son? Oh, not Christ. He's not, he's not God. So it's a different God, different baptism, different religion. That's why, that's why we're pretty clear. It's helpful to know what is and what is not Christianity. So a person comes to me from the Mormon church, I'm baptizing. A person comes to me from the, from the Baptist church, they're baptized already. So just because their belief about what the baptism, how it worked and what it was delivering, well, it wasn't about them. It's about the name. Is the name there? Was the water there? It's baptism. See? That makes sense? Yes, yeah, thank you. Infant baptism, I mentioned that a little bit. We talked about it before. Um, and the significance of the name we talked about in the early lectures, but I think it's worth repeating. God's name is his presence. To simplify an hour's worth of lecture for you, uh, God puts his name in the temple in the Old Testament and promises to be there according to his mercy for his people Israel. Then he takes up his name from the temple and it's incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus ascends into heaven and Jesus gives us the gift of holy baptism where he takes his name and he sticks it on his people, you see, we're we're tattooed, we're marked eternally with Him. Hence, this making the sign of the cross. By the way, so in in baptism, a person is marked with the Holy Cross. Receive the sign of the cross, both upon your head and upon your cross, uh, upon your head and upon your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the Crucified. And so, in remembrance of our baptism, if we so choose in freedom, a person can make the sign of the cross, remembering that the cross was put upon me in holy baptism when the cross was delivered to me. So um, certainly don't have to do it. We're, we're, we fancy the making the sign of the cross around here. Anything that people say we shouldn't do that because it's Catholic, we're like, well, let's do it then. <laughs> <laughs> um, infant baptism. Uh, what does infant baptism teach us about what baptism is and is not? Well, it's certainly not dependent upon the individual's action or decision or request or whatever but rather it is the deliverance of God's promises to this child just as circumcision was scripture's call baptism the circumcision made not with hands so that when do they baptize a the baby or sorry when do they circumcise a the baby 8 days so traditionally a lot of, I mean especially in the early church after the first wave of Christians were baptized as all adults, then the babies were being brought in typically on the eighth day because that's what they're used to doing. Eight days, of, eight days of circumcision were cut into the covenant in the same way here. We're brought into the, the covenant promises of God and Holy Baptism on the eighth day. These days, people wait far too long, and that annoys me. Um, it's, but it's like all these practical things, right? So like, oh, I've got to get my brother-in-law to come in town, and mom's going to come trying to coordinate schedules. The best man for my wedding was going to be the, the godparent. <laughs> so I'll look, you look up, and the baby's won before the baptism. It's like, oh, uh, why did you wait so long? And then we talked about this before. Like, if the ba- What if the baby died six months in because of whatever reason? Um, certainly, we don't, we don't rip away the promises of the Lord Jesus that work through the word. The problem is we're, we're, we're not able to say as much comforting things. Remember going back to that certainty, mm-hmm. all the promises that are given. Why would I not? Why would I not want to surround myself with all the things that Jesus is is giving for my certainty? Um, so, why should infants be baptized? Why? It's God's gift to them. So they are all nations, right? Mm-hmm. Let the little children come to me. Um, includes. Babies. But what's the problem that babies have? For which baptism is the solution? Sin. So, uh, and we know babies have sin because occasionally, unfortunately, babies die. And the wages of sin is death. So, we know babies have sin. We know babies die. And therefore, why are we withholding from babies the gift that delivers the salvation that was won on the cross to them? The blessings of baptism. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not, uh, does not believe will be condemned. So notice the promise, the condemnation doesn't come to the non-baptized but to the non-believing. But notice how it's worded. What goes together with believing? Whoever believes and is baptized. So if a person believes, they're baptized. So give me a person who believes and is not baptized, I'm, and I'm holding up the Bible in front of them. So what are you doing? Well, I don't know if I believe enough. When is that going to be? How are you going to know when you believe? When I stop sinning. When, what? How is that going to happen? So we're always trying to turn it, if anything, that, any contingency that we add to the sacraments, we take away all the comfort given in the sacraments. Um, I mentioned the name there below. Let's see. Baptism's impact on the Lord's service and the baptismal liturgy at the very bottom. Thus we see what a great and excellent thing baptism is, which snatches us from the jaws of the devil and makes God our own, overcomes and takes away sin, and daily strengthens the new man always remains until we pass from this present misery to eternal glory. So it delivers all this salvation to us. And in the, in the baptismal rite, there's a cool prayer. Um, I actually did my, my doctorate work on holy baptism and cleaning up the whole baptismal process. When you think about it, like, like put yourself in my shoes. If, if somebody's coming to me with a baby, they want their baby baptized, like, okay, salvation is delivered to that baby, but also as Jesus gives the gift of holy baptism, which he intends to be given to babies, does he intend for that baby to be removed from the Lord's word for the rest of its life? No. No. So baptism is given within the context of this child is to be raised in the faith. So how often do you do baptisms when people never show up again? Well, let me get in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, so, so this and that's what that is. By the way, why we have godparents, which s- stupidly the, our own hymnal calls them sponsors. Which why do they call them sponsors? Because godparent sounds Catholic. No, <laughs> oh, Stupid, stupid. Was <laughs> that? I thought it was because you were against were divine, like God, as if you were divine. So it was saying, yeah. No, I mean, the whole idea of godparents is that they're of the, of the godly things, that is baptism. So, what a godparent is for in the early church tradition would have been, I mean, think about it from the first and second century. If I'm a Christian, when Christians are being routinely what? Killed. As soon as I'm baptized into the Christian faith, the odds of me being slaughtered goes way, way up. And if I've got little kids, it'd be kind of nice to have them raised in the faith, so I'm gonna, I know I'm going to see them again. Because half of these, most of these martyrs in the first century, they went into death like eerily joyfully. It was like because they knew that this is in the end. It kind of took all the fun of killing them out of the Romans. Like ah, I don't know if I want to even kill you anymore. It's so you want this, but they, they want the they want the children raised in the faith that they're that they're in, so we could see them again, right? So the the idea of a godparent is to raise a child in the faith. Unfortunately, in our context, who do we who do who do we pick to be godparents? Not necessarily Christian, half the time. Best man in the wedding. I had to get my brother-in-law because this weird family dynamics, and I get it. These are practical things. And what what sets us at ease is that Jesus never instituted godparents anywhere. Baptism is baptism apart from any of these. External things. All God the, the existence of I mention this because the existence of God parents simply emphasizes the importance of raising the child in the faith. That's the intent. So for for like my first three years here, I mean I noticed it right away, but there's like four when I first got here we had four services and pre-COVID, we had a lot more members come in and worship, but it was always like you'd see these people so sporadically. And since I wasn't always at all the services, I was only preaching once a month back then, so I never even knew, I never knew half these people. And uh, so you have a family show up for baptism, and I just assume that they probably go to a different service, or you know what, I don't know any of these people anyway. So you just do the baptism, and it was was very like, there's a piece of paper on my desk when I show up, okay, there's an bunch of people I don't know. I show up and I, I ask these people, I tell them where to stand the baptism and they have no idea where they're going. They're fumbling around the hymnal during the service. They obviously have no idea what they're doing. I'm like starting to think, I wonder if they've ever been here before. What are we doing? So we started to tighten up this whole process of like, all right, if you're going to have your child baptized here, I don't want to get in the way of the gospel. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. So I don't want to hinder this but it'd be nice to be able to say to this parent, you know, you're promising to raise this child in the faith. Like all the vows that are given in the, in the hymnal and the baptismal writer saying, my intention is to raise this child in the faith. That's why, by the way, when we baptize the baby, who in the pastor says, well, in fact, let's look at it. That'd be fun. I believe it's on page. I'm not even going to guess. I have no idea. In my hymnal, it's like, it's easy to find because the pages are wet. And the hymnal opens up right to it. 268. So we start off in the Lord's name. And then we have the the institutional verses of baptism. And then interestingly, so like there's there's a baby in front of me. And usually wearing clothes that's like five times too big for the baby. It's like the the white, the, the endless white gown. I'm like, is there a baby in there? And I say to the baby, "How are you named?" And what does the baby say? Nothing. And that's going to be the repeated theme throughout the service. So I receive the sign of cross upon your head and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ. And then this is a long prayer, which is it's 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 called Luther's Flood Prayer, where he ties together the flood and what God was doing in the flood and how He was rescuing. Well, it's, it's worth reading. Al- Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. Yet according to your mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls and all. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea. So we get this other water image of being led out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land yet led your people israel through the water on dry ground foreshadowing this washing of your holy baptism so in baptism we're being led out of the bondage of sin into eternal life through the baptism in the jordan of your beloved son our lord jesus christ you sanctified you made holy and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin we pray that you would behold this child according to your boundless mercy and bless him with true faith in the holy Spirit that through this flood all sin in him which has been inherited from Adam, his original sin, and which he himself has committed since would be drowned and die. Grant that he be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church. How is he going to get here? Mom, right? Being separated from the multitude of unbelievers and serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and a joyful hope. What is his name? What does it mean to serve his name? Who's going to teach him that? Dad, so that with all believers in your promise, he would be declared worthy of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So grant that he be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church. Next time you're in the sanctuary, walk in and look up. So all Churches are always designed to look like, I mean, when they're rightly done. In the 80s, was, I'd say the 50s through the 80s in America went through a weird architectural time where the churches were designed in weird ways. But ideally especially historically, churches are ark. They're boats upside down. Mm-hmm. So that's this idea of like, why are these crossbeams going across this? Oh, because that's what a boat is. So we're inside the ark in this world, of the world of the flood around us. We're being, we're being kept safe and secure. From ancient times, the church has observed the custom of appointing godparents for baptismal candidates and catechumens in the Evangelical Lutheran Church, this is great. In the Evangelical Lutheran Church, sponsors are to confess the faith expressed in the Apostles' Creed and taught in the small catechism. Why? Because that's what, that's what we're baptizing this child into. So like 90% of the time, that's the first time these people standing around me have heard the word small catechism, much less, much less know what it's, what's in it. So the problem for me is... When, when people come to me to ask for baptism, they've already picked their godparents because they had them picked out once they made it out of the first trimester or after the baby was born, before they even thought about scheduling a baptism. They've already called up my best man for my wedding. And so it's already like the wheels are already in motion. I can't stop it. So I'm always like, so just so you know, godparent, this is what you're, what you're promising. So their job is to ultimately pray for the Pray for the child, support them in the ongoing instruction and in the faith, and encourage them toward the faithful reception of the Lord's Supper. So, when your, when your Baptist uh, aunt is your godf- godmother, she doesn't believe in the Lord's Supper. So, she's not going to do this. So, it's really fun to read these things. <laughs> uh, again, it doesn't really matter. This is not part of the institution. I don't even have godparents. Um, it's like, it doesn't, it's not contingent on, on me or anything, but the idea is, is, and it's a fun way to honor people in your life, I suppose. Is it your intention to serve Joey as sponsors in the Christian faith? Yes, with the help of God, et cetera. Then we have the reading from Mark, let the little children come to me, and then the Lord's Prayer, and this is a fun thing of like the first time the pastor, like he's touched the, touched the baby's head and the heart, and then now head on the, hand on the head, saying the Lord's Prayer, and the baby starts squirming. If she wasn't awake, I make sure she's awake. Uh, and this is interesting too. Like the um, in the original rite of Luther, you've got this um, depart ye un- unholy spirit, depart ye unclean spirit. And the, like in the in the early church, they would actually lift up the eyelids and blow on the eyelids of whoever's being baptized, and they blow in the mouth, blow in the ears. This is very, it's, very, its all this—it's purely symbolic. But this is what Jesus was doing when he's casting out the blindness, uh, taking away the muteness restoring he- hearing. And all these are often associated with the demons. There's always a demon possession. He's casting out the demons. So depart, ye unclean spirit. And what's really fun, I think Barton's, if Barton's having another baby, I'm sure we'll be doing this. In um, the Luther's rite, the service starts in silence. There's a procession in. Everybody's like, what's going on? We get in the middle of the saint. we're like processing in and silent. We get halfway down. And the first line is, depart, ye unclean spirit. Everybody's like, <laughs> what? It grabs your attention. So then, in the middle of page 270, name, Annabelle, do you renounce the devil? She's eight days old. Who says, yes, I renounce him? Mom and dad. So they're confessing the faith on behalf of the child because they're the ones who are raising the child in the faith. Does the child have the faith, though? Well, I don't see why not. The baby knows who mom is. baby knows who dad is. Baby knows what food is. So why am I saying that she can't know who God is? Because she can't tell me. Well, she can't tell me who mom is either. Uh, And then we ultimately do do renounce the devil and his works and his ways. And that really ticks off the devil, which is why after baptism, we get a nice little target on our back for the devil to go after us. And then we confess the creed, the Apostles' Creed here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, His only Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church. For those of you who are asking me, why we only say the Apostles Creed sometimes typically the Apostles Creed is here in, in the baptismal liturgy and the Nicene Creed is part of the communion liturgy uh, do you desire to be baptized yes I do and then the baptism done then some prayers done um, yeah it's fun to, it's fun to do so with your question like people come to me how many people come to me for baptism it's it's a lot fewer now because I've I've despite Jesus' clear words to not hinder, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, I say, in my, in my mind is, if I want the kids to actually come to Jesus, am I doing them any favors by, by not like, forcing the parents to at least show me that they care? Like, in my, in my logic, I'm, it's trying to, it's toward getting the little kids to Jesus in the long term. Because what we did before was certainly not working. People would just show up, baptism, never see them again. I'd say, I'd say 75% of all the baptisms I've done, I'd never see the people again. Well, I question that because I watched a couple in your church, and I haven't seen And I yes. wondered that. It, it occurred to me one day... So, and then, but see, here's the flip side, is we don't want to turn, we don't want to turn the gospel into a law... And so what I do with all these people is I, before I'll do a baptism anymore, it used to be like you'd call Beth or Beth's office before it was Beth's office. And I would just get a piece of paper on my desk and the time, they would already schedule the date and there was no like conversation with me. Now, if you want to be baptized, Beth's like, it's not my problem. Talk to Pastor Clemmer. And then, well, I'm like, okay, uh, why are you wanting to be baptized? Why, why do you want your child baptized? Just, it's a really jarring question. I mean, imagine. Hey, I just want to get, like, we just had our baby. Oh, congratulations. When was she born? Oh, like three months ago. Okay. I we'll have to get her baptized. Why? <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> what? I it uh, uh, well, sure? just, it's just the right, it's, I just kind of start guiding them through what they're supposed to be saying to me. Like, you're calling me, right? You called me. Why do you want to be baptized? Why, why do you want the kid baptized? So, So then I say, look, the idea is that you're raising the child in the faith that we're baptizing him or her into. So do you even know what that faith is? I haven't seen you here. So why do I think that behavior is going to change after we baptize the baby? Why are we going to plant the seed and never water it? So, and then they always apologize for not coming and promise they're going to start coming all the time. Then it's on them. But I make them. You, the only hoops I typically do is I say, you know, I'm really busy, but we, before I schedule baptism, I really like to walk through the, the liturgy because it's kind of confusing. We like, we're in the front for one part, then we go over to the font for a weird part, and then like, you have to move around. We have to pass the baby, and we need to practice this. I'm really busy. The only time I can really schedule it is, hmm, let me check my calendar. Oh, after the 11 o'clock service next week. After the 11 o'clock service means they're very likely to do what? come to at least the 11 o'clock service next week. Then I get to see them there at church. and we walk through the liturgy. And and then I say, okay, uh, the next time we're going to have a... Oh, you want the 8.30? Oh, we have these other things. It's going to be like two, three weeks. So I'll see you in the next two or three weeks, and then we'll have the baptism three weeks later. A rare occasion they come in between. Rare. But I've kind of... What I've just displayed for you is a... Significant improvement over what we used to do, which was kind of like hap, almost seemingly haphazard. Where now we're like, let's at least walk through your promises that you're making before you say them so they don't catch you off guard, you know, when the baptism comes. And we've, by adding a third pastor and chopping our books, really, uh, wanna, I want to know who my sheep are. I don't need, I mentioned this before, I don't need members, I want disciples. So if I've got like a lot of people on my books who aren't like here, they're never learning the Lord's word, they never come to church. Where where are you? Why aren't you in church? I want you somewhere. If you hate me or this church, that's fine. But I want you in church somewhere. If you have no interest in that, that's fine. But you're not my problem anymore. You're not my sheep. I want to know who my sheep are. Now I can kind of shrink this number of people that I need to call on all the time. So these people that I baptized three years ago, we haven't seen them since? Really? Let's, Let's get on them. Now how do we know we have worshipped in 3 years? Well, it's, it's handy that now that with only two services and we're worshipping all the pastors at all the services, we know we can, we're we're always watching. <laughs> but that's ultimately for your benefit because like if if all of a sudden like you guys go through a new member class and Lee just like drops off the planet, like I, where did Lee go? Oh, he had a, you know, God forbid, some kind of an accident. And then, like, he meant to get to church and he couldn't. And all of a sudden, I don't want five years to go by before I'm visiting Lee, right? So the idea is to be on top of it for the sake of our, for the sake of our members. But then also, the young, it's like, all right, where are you? And you, inevitably, I make a phone call, no one answers the phone. If they answer the phone, they answer with the words, I'm sorry, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just, I don't have to give any law. I'm just, a, I embody the law. And then, then they come the next Sunday. So just, a, just like a, just a call. Hey, I'm not calling. I don't, I didn't even notice you hadn't been here. I'm just saying, hey. And then sure enough, they show up. Or they say, they don't answer the phone for a while. And then we're just like, all right, I guess you don't want to be a member here. That's cool. So like, obviously the expectation, my expectation of you when you're joining this church is I'm your shepherd, which means part of my responsibility to you is to make sure you're hearing the Lord's receiving his gifts. This is, this is really my only job to give these things to God's people. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not being faithful to my, to my office. So if my people wander off, I want to chase them down. Um, oh, we're six after. I'm sorry. Thank you for... <laughs> it's like, where's everybody going? Oh, it's five after. Uh, so next week, we'll wrap up baptism and get into the Lord's Supper... And um, if you get any lingering questions on baptism, I think we've hit the main points, but I, there's a couple more things I want to hit. Lord's Supper, and then uh, we'll have one more week to do any general questions. And then, um, except for one, sorry for the, the schedule change on you for November 13, but we'll look forward to that. We'll have to watch it. Are you still doing the o'clock service, or is it just the eight? We only do the eight, but we can easily, I say we, I mean Beth, Beth can push the magic button that makes it record the service. Um, it's more complicated than that, but. Yeah, so we'll just, we can, we can do can want to watch it live? Yeah, I could do that. I mean, just So we can, there's a big difference between, oh, I see what you're saying. Ah, oh, that's emotional for you. You can just not receive the sacrament. I do, wouldn't encourage you to do that. You say, Mom, what's more important, Nashville and your career, or am I receiving the Lord's body and blood? Don't say that, don't it. I'll be fine. Right. I, I want you to do it. You'll have to stand up on your own, so it'll be like a. a seat. You have all these friends, look. right? No, no. Or just wait until the spring. If I mean, I, you want know, to I do, I can't encourage you to do that. And, I cannot, in good conscience, not give you the Lord's Su- Lord's supper. Well, let's talk when I'm not yeah. recording my own voice right now. Mm-hmm. Let us pray. Um, let's pray Luther's, Luther's evening prayer, and it's in your catechism there at the beginning on page 30-something, for those of you who don't know it, 31, yeah, 31. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day, and I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, And graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. All right, good night, guys.